Great to be back. I love the atmosphere here. I love the worship. Thank you for coming up and just lifting your hands before the Lord. It's, yeah, I, I loved it. So praise God. And last night we had a prayer meeting. The Antioch Initiative uh, hosts a prayer meeting every Thursday night, in case you didn't know. And we had a faithful, I don't know, 15, 20 people come out and really seek God from, I thought, 9 o'clock, they'll be done by 10. No, it was about 11, I think, before we left. Um, but uh, I think that's, that's the heartbeat of everything we do. No matter what your role is in the world and in, in, in the Christian faith, in your Christian faith, whether you're a minister, whether you're a business person, whatever you do, prayer is the most powerful thing that, will, that you will do in your ministry. And I believe that even for us missionaries, prayer is more important than the work of missions because it is part of the work of missions. And so I'll be sharing just a little bit more about that uh, throughout this message. But thank you, Pastor, thank you, uh, uh, President Hagen. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for inviting me to be here. And I'm glad that we're having two days here to focus on missions. I believe Antioch Initiative is a powerful concept that needs to rest in, in, in our hearts, in each one of our hearts, uh, no matter where we go and where we serve. <clears throat> There's about a billion Buddhists in the world, at least with that Buddhist worldview, and we've been serving in the most uh, highest percentage Buddhist country in the world in Thailand. <clears throat> about 94% of them are Buddhists for 30 years now. Uh, after 30 years of hard work, there's still less than 1% Christians there. Wow. And after 200 years of free missions there where it's not against the law to preach the gospel and the visas that we hold, the work permits we hold say that we're there to so my Thai friend knows what that is, uh, to spread Christianity. That's why we're there. And, uh, but even after uh, two, almost 200 years of missionary efforts, still fewer than 1% Christians. Buddhism everywhere in the world, and, and, and it's mostly focused in Southeast Asia, in Asia, is very, very uh, challenging to the gospel. And there's several reasons for that. Uh, I'll get into a couple of them, but one is kind of spiritual darkness stuff that you saw. Another is identity. People who are Buddhists identify themselves, uh, identify Buddhism as part of their culture. And so when they see other religions, they see that as moving away from their culture. They don't see it as as uh, any decision that they have to make. They're born a Buddhist, and they're going to live their entire lives being a Buddhist. And so uh, that's, a, that's a huge barrier to introducing Jesus to them. Uh, and then finally, the concepts that Buddha taught, Buddha himself taught uh, 500 years before Christ when he lived, are exactly as opposite to Christianity as you could possibly imagine. For example, if I were to share John 3.16 with a Buddhist person out of context, uh, it would probably look like this, for God so love the world. So if God, who is God? A Buddhist person would say, uh, what God are you talking about? And the gods are, are to be avoided, especially since Buddha taught the four noble truths begin with life is suffering. If you exist, if you live, you will suffer. Suffering is part of life and ignorance. And so uh, Buddha said that we were all brought into this world accidentally, that it's a world of suffering and that we will be born in kind of pain, we'll live with pain and suffering throughout our existence, we'll die, and then we'll be reborn, and we're locked in this endless cycle of birth, death, and rebirth, until, unless we somehow are able to, through meditation and through the Eightfold Path, we're supposed to 
pull ourselves out of suffering. And he said that suffering, or out of that, that rebirth, samsara existence. But uh, he said that suffering, the second noble truth, is that suffering is caused by desires. And as long as we desire things, uh, not only evil things, but good things, any kind of desire is going to result in, in, in greater suffering. And so, uh, and so a God that would have created a world that, uh, that locked us into an existence of suffering, birth, death, and rebirth with no escape is an evil God. He was once asked, Buddha was once asked, is there a God? Is there a creator God? He comes out of Hindu, Buddhism comes out of Hinduism. The Brahman is the creator kind of person in Hinduism. And Buddha's answer was, if there is a God, he's evil because he created a world of suffering and trapped us all in it. And so we don't want to get to know him. So when you announce to a Buddhist person, God is real, you get to know who God is. For God so loved the world, the response might be, no thanks, I don't want to learn anything about that God. And then secondly, God loves. What is love? Love is an emotion. And so Buddha taught that any, any kind of emotions, any kind of desires attach us to this world and result in more suffering and even love. So the first thing a Buddhist tries to get rid of is all the bad desires. But then if you really want to attain enlightenment, then you have to get rid of all desires, including love. So someone who needs to love or needs to be loved is weak. And, and, and is not yet ready to attain enlightenment. So a God who loves is a weak God who still has this need for love and to be loved. And thirdly, uh, you say he loved the world so much that he died and suffered and died on the cross for us in this agonizing uh, display of love. And Buddhists would look at that and say, wow, a person who dies a violent death like this has very, very bad what? Karma. Karma is has bad karma. Anyone who dies a violent death is a person who must have been a violent person in their previous life. And so Jesus dying on the cross is a picture of, of a person who had terrible karma in his past life. Jesus was probably a murderer or some kind of violent individual in his previous life. And then whoever believes in, in, in him will have everlasting life, eternal life. And what does a Buddhist have? He has eternal life. He's locked into this life of birth, death, and rebirth. He wants to escape the very thing Buddhists are trying to do is escape eternal life. And so John 3.16 is not, uh, is, gives an opposite kind of a response for a Buddhist person. And so the very uh, philosophy of Buddhism is as opposite of the gospel as you can possibly imagine. It's a very, very challenging world to break through. And uh, after 19 years of serving in, uh, in northern Thailand, I was asked to be the area director of five, the five countries of peninsular Asia that, that uh, Carl mentioned. And I said, uh, first I said, I, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm Thai, I love speaking Thai, I love ministering in Thai. And uh, our leadership said, no, you need to pray about this. You can't say no without praying, right? So... Uh, they pushed me back to pray about it. As I prayed about it, uh, I realized that, uh, that the Lord was saying this. As I, I did a little research, and I looked at the five countries, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and Myanmar, I realized this is easily the most uh, concentrated group of Buddhist countries in the world. And uh, the, Lord, the Spirit of God just kind of raised up in me as I saw that CIA map of the world, the entire world break down into religions, and the only place, the only hot spot of Buddhism was right in the countries I was living, and that whole concept of change the map 
rose up in my heart uh, from that moment. And so now that, that's expanded into a prayer movement that includes, that has a goal of 50,000 people praying on at least a weekly basis for the Buddhist world. And I believe that when we have 50,000 people who are calling out to the, on the throne of God, these barriers will be broken down and Buddhists will come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 But I look back on 19 years of ministry at that point, and Thailand's still 0.7% believers, Christians, after all of this hard work. And we had planted churches, and we had led people to Christ, and we had discipled people. And I felt discouraged, frankly. It was like, God, what will it take? You know, it will take more than just our efforts, but it will take uh, supernatural efforts on the part of God to reach Buddhists. And I pray that as we minister today, that God will inspire you to, to pray and to pray for the Buddhist world. I want, to, uh, I want to talk to you about the priority of missions, the priority of the lost in Jesus' ministry. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to begin with verse 14. This is the very first sermon uh, that Jesus preaches according to Dr. Luke, and, uh, and I think there's a very pointed reason why Luke has this sermon as Jesus' first sermon. And so Jesus had just come off the temptation, the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, and he begins to minister throughout Galilee, throughout northern part of Israel where he's from. And in verse 14, we'll pick it up from there. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Pay attention to that. Everyone was impressed. They liked what they were hearing. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and this comes from Isaiah 61, a messianic prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I understand that teachers in that day in the synagogues would sit down to preach, which sounds like a good idea at times, especially at my age, right? And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all, listen to their reaction, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And, said, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many, many widows in Israel, widows in Israel, in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many Jew, uh, lepers in Israel, lepers in Israel, in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff, but passing through their midst, he went his way. Father, just enlighten our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, the great announcement, Jesus 
after the temptation, went back to his hometown and he preached his first sermon. And Luke, Dr. Luke, who is a Gentile, he said Luke is a Greek name, uh, the only non-Jewish writer in, uh, of the Gospels, uh, wrote, uh, prioritized this message that Jesus preached in his hometown of Nazareth, his inaugural message. And uh, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. He was given the scroll to read. So obviously he was honored as, as a teacher, great teacher. It says it was his custom. And uh, they gave him, for some reason, they gave him Isaiah 61 to read. And I believe there's a reason for that. I believe that they were suspecting in their hearts that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah because he is now beginning to be famous throughout Galilee. And uh, so he reads this messianic passage and then he sits down, everyone's eyes are fixed on him, they're all excited, and he says, today, he makes the big announcement, today, this prophecy is being fulfilled in your midst. In other words, Jesus was saying what? I am the Messiah. I'm that one that you're waiting for. Wow. And they said, wow, this is Joseph's son. They said it in a positive light. They, wow, this is... this." our own hometown guy he could be the messiah of all and then jesus went on to tell two stories that changed their that flipped their understanding and of who the messiah should be and flipped their understanding of of what the messiah would have come to do and so what were those uh, two uh, things that jesus uh, did in fact jesus uh, before i i go to that i want to say that um uh, the Jews felt and believed that they were the blessed people of the world. They were. They were the chosen people. And they felt that God's promise that his kingdom would rule the entire world meant a political promise. They felt like the Messiah would come, bring them political victory, that they would rule over other nations. And uh, they had that, that misunderstanding of God's blessing of who they were and what he was going to do in their life. Sometimes... And, and, and in that, they missed God's passion for the whole world, his priority for the whole world. And at times, I want to challenge our hearts. Sometimes we can think too much of what God has done in our life and miss the idea that God's priority is once we have come to him, once we have been blessed by him, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, our lives have been transformed now, what does God want of us? Does he want us to focus on that, or does he want us to focus on something else? And this is what Jesus came to do. He said, yes, you're blessed. You're God's blessed people, but don't stay there. Look out to the purpose that I have for this whole world, and the priority of the lost, the priority of the entire world, came out in Jesus' very first message. Let's not make that mistake. Jesus prioritizes the lost today. He still prioritizes the lost today. And that's exemplified in so much of what Jesus did, including the lost sheep and the lost son and the lost coins. The, the ones that are found are good and they're taken care of, but God's priority is on those who are lost. And that's what happens in this first sermon. So Jesus confronts their belief. Jesus was quite confrontive. I think Jesus knew that when he was about to tell these two stories, it was going to be a slap in the face of that entire uh, group of people sitting in the synagogue in Nazareth that day. And so what are the two stories he tells? Okay, let's look at this uh, confrontation in verses 23 through 30. Uh, he says, uh, 
he tells two stories. The first one, he said, tells the story of Elijah. Back in Elijah, he said there were many widows in Israel. So there are a lot of Jewish widows. And this becomes a, an ethnic, uh, uh, Chaplain Josh, this becomes an, uh, an ethnic diversity kind of a message almost. Uh, he, he says there were a lot of Jewish widows at the time of Elijah. Your greatest, one of your greatest prophets, maybe other than Moses, the greatest prophet of Israel. But God didn't use any of those Jewish widows, but he sent Elijah, Elisha to uh, a widow in Sidon. Uh, and, and, and Sidon was, was the hometown of guess who? Jezebel. Queen Jezebel was this Gentile lady who married and became uh, a, you know, this uh, terrible queen in, in Israel. But um, he says, Elisha went to this Gentile lady, and God used her to feed him. God used her, this Gentile person, to help your greatest prophet. And I'm sure the people began to feel like, okay, what the Messiah, he's the Messiah of our nation. Why is he talking about God using a Gentile lady, lady? And then he says, I want to tell you another story. The second story is there were many Jewish lepers. There were a lot of lepers in Israel, but God didn't heal any of them. But he healed Naaman, who is who? The captain of, or the general of your enemy army, the Syrians. The Syrian army that is, and, and would ultimately overtake northern, the northern kingdom of Israel. Jesus says, God healed the Gentile. And, and, these, and the Jewish people who were so um, ethnocentric, began to get very, very angry, began to get so upset that they totally flipped from saying he's going to be a great uh, uh, Messiah, deliverer of Israel. Suddenly they, they said, okay, you think you're the Messiah and you're giving us this stuff about the Gentiles. We're going to kill you. They went from honoring him to killing him. Why, why did Jesus do this? And the point's uh, Pretty obvious at this point, isn't it? Jesus said, I have come. I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. And my first message, my priority message, is the priority of God. And that is, our priority is on those who are lost. And, and, and every one of us need to share that priority, the priority of Jesus. I love the Antioch Conference because it points us to those who are most lost, unreached people groups throughout the world. And I believe that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we catch the passion of Jesus' heart, the more we're going to love the lost peoples of the world. The more that we're going to want to reach out to them, the more we're going to want to pray for them, the more we're going to be receptive to God's calling and God's heart and God's passion for them. Perhaps Jesus is confronting us today. And through this message, perhaps he's confronting our heart today. Uh, take a moment to search your heart. Ask God, do you share his priority for lost people? Do you share his priority for lost people? What is your role in missions? I believe that every one of us, every believer, can and should be engaged in missions. Give, go, pray is for all of us. Give, give to missions, not from your, uh, your excess but as a response to the Father's urgent call, give sacrificially. I believe that's the heart of Jesus is to give, to go, because the Father is still sending people, and we still have great, great needs for workers all over the world. In Thailand, we have a young lady by the name of Lauren who's trying to plant a church in Lampang. She needs team members to come and join her right now. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, 
needs all over the place. I want to highlight one in, in Laos where we need uh, English teachers. In Hanoi, they're building a large team uh, in northern Vietnam for, to join hands with nationals to plant churches throughout Vietnam. Uh, there's needs all over the Buddhist world. And as God calls you, as he speaks to your heart, know that there are places for you to go. Come and talk to us about those, those places. Uh, I need uh, someone to help me with media. You saw these great uh, media things, that, uh, that, that great media presentation, but we need a whole lot more to inspire people to, to pray for the Buddhist world. Uh, but so go. Is God calling you today? Our goal at Change the Map is to re- increase 150 new workers over the next f- uh, five years. 150 people that we're ready to deploy into the Buddhist world. Pray about it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And then pray. And pray because prayer is the most powerful thing you can do. Uh, I take uh, this cue from uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 17 when the children of Israel just came across the the Red Sea and escaped out of Egypt and and they were attacked by the Amalekites and he told and Moses told Joshua put an army together and go out tomorrow huh? which is kind of quick I think to to prepare an army but they went out the next day and they fought the Amalekites and Moses took his position on the hill remember the story and when he was holding the staff up uh, the, the Israelites were winning the battle. Anytime the arms came down, they were losing the battle. There was nothing that the Israelites in the valley who were holding the swords and fighting that battle could do uh, to, to win the battle without the staff being held in the air. And I believe many times, many times throughout my life in my ministry in Thailand, I've felt like there's not enough staffs being held up in the air because we're not winning the battle. We, uh, the, to win the battles, the spiritual battles in the spiritual uh, realm th- throughout the Buddhist world, we need the staff being held up. And I've come to believe and I've come to, uh, to talk to our missionaries, convince our missionaries throughout the Buddhist world of this, that people holding the staff up in prayer are more significant to the battle than your own work in, in, in missions. We have to do our part in carrying the sword, in evangelizing, planting churches, and raising up people. But without that staff being held up in prayer, the battle's not going to be won. And so we, uh, we, we call and encourage you to, to join that battle. I wish I could tell you tell you the stories of how God came through in miraculous ways whenever we needed, to, we, we needed God to come through because people were praying. Not because, and we knew what to do, not because we're wise, not because North Central uh, prepared us in all the way. I, I wish I could tell you the crazy things that I encountered, crazy questions we would never have uh, thought of here in our Western theology that came, comes up in the Buddhist world. It's only through the power of God. It's only through prayer. It's only when the Holy Spirit reveals his direction to us that we can break through in these kinds of ways. And so I want to appeal to you this morning to consider uh, praying. I have a, uh, a QR code, if we could put that up, um, uh, that, uh, that will take you to uh, uh, Change the Map prayer site. And if you would... As the Lord speaks to your heart, would you shoot that QR code or else come to us on the table in the back and, uh, and, and commit to praying at least once a week for the Buddhist world. Every Monday morning, a new prayer moment comes out and tells you how you can pray for Buddhists this week. And, uh, and would you be part of that 50,000 people? I believe that the map will be changed of the Buddhist world when people are on their knees and praying and calling out to Jesus. And I want to leave that with you this morning. 
if the Lord's been speaking to your heart, one, about going, uh, come on up and talk to some of the missionaries who are here uh, this morning and, and talk to them about it. Ask for prayer for that. If you're not even sure if this is what God is trying to say to you, come and, and get prayer about that. Say, I think maybe the Lord is speaking to me about going. And if the Lord is stirring your heart to pray, uh, come, and, come and talk to us about that as well. And, and again, talk at the table in the back and, um, and be a part of the army of God that is calling us to change the map. Change the map, not only of the Buddhist world, but I believe that through prayer, he's going to change the map of your world as well. Father God, we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're all the, the almighty God. Praise you, Lord, that you have given us the tool of prayer, the weapon of prayer that can break down every wall. Lord, I pray you'd stir our hearts, first of all, for the priority of missions that's in your heart, and secondly, for the, to take up the battles that you've equipped us to take on. Would you stand, please? Let's all stand to our feet. And as the worship team comes and begins to, to pray, or as part of the worship team comes and begins to pray, uh, to play, those that God is speaking to, I'd like for you to come, come forward and spend some time in prayer. And I know the others maybe have uh, some uh, places to go. And President Hagen, you're here. You want to you wanna help us wrap it up and, and challenge him. Okay, thank you.